With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our good friends at MyBookie, where you can still today use our exclusive promo code UGA to double your first deposit when you sign up for a brand new account at mybookie.ag. It's a no-brainer, guys. It's quick, it's easy, and you're going to have a lot of fun doing it. So bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. I am your host, Tyler, freshly in from the very, very cold trip to Starkville, Mississippi this weekend. And joining me today to recap Georgia's SEC East clinching road victory in the beautiful oasis that is Starkville, Mississippi, is my longtime co-host, Curtis. And yes, guys, I'm not lying when I say it was a very, very cold night. I think it was cold here in Athens, too, in Georgia. But man, it was freaking cold in Starkville. And as I told you guys all last week, hell, I've been screaming it since July. This game, at least coming into this game, it checked every single box to be classified as the most classic of classic trap game setups. But Our guys answered the bell. They answered the bell the right way and did not allow themselves to fall into that trap en route to a 45-19 road victory that did indeed clinch our fifth SEC East title in the last six seasons. And with their narrow win over Arkansas on Saturday, LSU locked up the SEC West and a date with us in Atlanta on December 3rd. But that's for another day. Today, we've got a really good road win to recap, and Curtis, man, let's dive right into this thing. The last time we went on the road, earlier this year, we had to scratch and claw to get out of Columbia, Missouri alive. There are multiple moments in that game, Curtis, in Columbia, where I felt my heart rate getting into that dangerous heart attack zone, and uh, it was rough, man. That, that, was a, that was a tough game. It was a tough game to be in the stands for, because I was convinced at various points in that game that we were going to lose. Fortunately, in that game against Missouri, we were able to get it together enough late in the game to get out of there by the skin of our teeth with a win. And of course, I mean, you guys remember what we talked about. After that game, Curtis, you and I talked a lot about how we did not play up to our standard in that game, and it almost cost us everything. It almost did. So in our first true road game in a month and a half, it's hard to believe that, but it's actually legit, guys. This is our first true road game since October 1st. How close, Curtis, did we come to playing to that standard that Kirby always talks about in this game against Mississippi State? I think we were closer. I think that 
biggest thing is there were some ups and downs, yes. Um, but I think across the board, especially when you compare it to, like, as you previously mentioned, the Missouri game, it was a lot closer to a standard um, because, I mean, we were in control most of this game, and I think that was the biggest thing. I know that at points, especially right before the half, they cut it essentially the, they cut it to a one-score game, and that kind of skews your perception, at least going to halftime, right? But if you really look at this game in totality, we were now we did not play as well as we could. We did not necessarily bring our A game. There were there were some sloppy moments, but all in all, we were a disastrous late half sequence in the first half and a lucky batted ball interception away from this game being 45-6. I mean, they really put together two drives to get two field goals against our starting defense, right? You have the interception that gives them the ball on our 24-yard line. Then you have that punt return for a touchdown right before the half. That's not really on our defense. Our defense did their job. So if you take away those two plays, or I guess two sequences there, this game is 45-6, and you're looking at this game in a very different manner. I don't think anyone's freaking out right now, certainly not the way that we did after the Missouri game. But I, I do think there's some people out there in national media saying, well, you know, it's kind of a ho-hum victory. You know, Georgia, you know, they, they – I guess they, they won, but it wasn't really an inspiring victory. But really, I mean, you talk about two plays, punt return and interception there. You take those two plays out of the game. And you can't do that. That's not how football works. But if you remove those two plays, this game's 45-6, and it's a very, very different view of this game. So it wasn't our A game. I don't know. If, I don't think that we hit that standard, but I think that we were much closer to, as you said, much closer to it than we were against Missouri a, a month and a half ago. And I don't think we were that far off. I mean, again, there were some sloppy moments, a couple of blown coverages here and there. But all in all, I thought we played a pretty good football, especially when you consider the circumstances. Guys, it was freaking cold in Starkville. And that's a place that none of our players had ever played before. I mean, literally not one of them. Even Stetson Bennett, who's been around for 19 years, has not played in Starkville. This was a classic trap game setup. And we answered that bell, and we passed that test with flying colors. So, no, it might not have been our A game, but – it was still good enough to get the job done in a tough environment on the road. So I will definitely take that and move on to Kentucky this week. But Kurt, I want to next I want to go to the defense because whenever you play a Mike Leach team, you know offense is the topic of conversation, right? You you know there's always going to be a challenge there for your defense. And Curtis, at least in this game, challenge accepted. Our defense held Mississippi State to 308 total yards, but the starting defense really held them in as far as I'm concerned, the starting defense held them 241 yards before that last 73-yard garbage time drive to end the game. And if you, if you take out that drive, again, I know that's not how football works, but if you take that drive out, we held them to their second lowest total yards output of the season and by far their lowest home yards out, output. Uh, we held them to 4.6 yards per play, uh, which, you know, compared to that, they were held to 3.4 yards per play in Tuscaloosa, 4.5 yards per play in Baton Rouge. So this was the lowest yards per play total for them at home this season. We also held Will, Will Rogers to 55% completion percentage, which is the second lowest on the year. And of course, the defense held them to 13 points. You had that punt return there, but the defense held them 13 points. And again, I would really say only six of those were actually on the defense after that third quarter interception by Tyrus We This is a ridiculous, you know, great play by him. You know, tip the ball, catch the ball, good for him. But set them up on our 24-yard line. Uh, and Kerr, also nine of their 12 drives either ended in punts or turnovers on downs. So I think all in all, that's a great performance by our defense on the road against this offense. So how are we able to, to do that, Curtis? How are we able to limit the Mississippi State offense to the degree that we did last night? I think the biggest thing is tackling um, with the Mississippi State offense, you know, um, not giving up the deep ball and making them drive the whole field. Kind of like, I mean, very similar to what you see with Tennessee. 
But the fact is you have to kind of make him take the checkdowns, but then you also have to make those tackles when they're over there making the checkdowns. And I thought we did a real good job um, of forcing them into the checkdowns and then making the tackles. You know, I, I think that's a great point. Tackling is definitely on my list here. Like we largely tackled very, very well. There's maybe, you know, a, a play here or there where we missed a tackle. But I think all in all, especially against a team that likes to get the ball in space and you got to come up and make tackles with our defensive strategy, they're clearly trying to keep the ball in front of us like we did against Tennessee. You got to tackle. That's two weeks in a row, Curtis, that we have tackled extraordinarily well. And that's really big against offenses like this. But I think another thing that we did in this game, and I felt this was something that we had to do coming into, I mentioned this on the preview episode last week, we made them one-dimensional. And what I mean by that, I know you think, well, we say they're already one-dimensional, right, Tyler? They, they, they just throw the ball all the time. Yeah, they throw the ball a lot. They did lead the league in attempts and completions coming into this game. Obviously, they throw the ball a lot. But they have been running the ball this year far more than they have in years past. They've been much more willing to take what the defense is giving them, especially when the defense plays that drop eight stuff. And I think early in the year, some teams are having trouble with that. Lately, go back to the Kentucky game, the, uh, the Alabama game, teams have – realize we can't just give them those free yards. We can't play this drop eight, rush three all the time. because they'll, they'll take those check downs. They'll take the, the you know, five, six yards in the run game, and they'll just kind of paper cut their way down the field. So we said we're not going to do that, and we're, we're going to make you truly one-dimensional where you have to throw the ball every single down if you want to win this football game. I mean, they only ran the ball 15 times, Curtis, 15 times for 47 yards. So by doing that, not giving them the light box to run into, we – I, in my opinion, force them to play in our hands. Because if we can make it seem one-dimensional, Curtis, they are not going to be us. Even if it's Mississippi State, who is as good at that one dimension throwing the ball as they are, you are not going to beat Georgia's defense if you are a one-dimensional team. It's just not going to happen. So I think that was really important, and we were able to do that, make them one-dimensional, because we control the run game with our with our front, with our front five, front six, depending on what we were on what we were playing on any given snap. We were able to get that too high shell. They weren't really able to get explosive plays down the field. We mixed up coverages and looks. We did do some drop eight stuff here and there. You, you can't do the same thing every single play, but we were rushing four, we were rushing five, we were rushing three. We were mixing things up, keeping them off balance, messing, messing up their box count so Will Rogers couldn't really check them into the right play as much as he had been earlier in the season. As you mentioned, kept everything in front of us, tackled really well. And we only had one sack, Curse, but how do you feel that we did pressuring Rodgers, even, even though it was only statistically only one sack? I thought we did a really good job. Um, we, and not only – like, we threw a bunch of different um, pressure packages and blitz packages. Like, you think back – I mean, the one play that stands out to me is the, where we used Jalen Carter as a spy. Yeah. And then he, you know, came that mud rush almost um, later. And we, we used four up pocket. And I think that's the biggest thing. It's like people – I mean, of course we want the sacks. Um, don't get me wrong. But I think um, a little bit too much has been made about sacks. And I think that right now, especially with this defense, as long as we're getting pressure, I think that we're in our best if we can do that. And I think that especially this week was another example of it where even though we didn't have all the sacks, we were still getting to him and forcing him into uh, uncomfortable throws. Yeah, I mean, throwing the ball away at times, trying to force balls. Absolutely, Curtis. That, that's what it's about. It's about affecting the quarterback. And I feel like we say this almost every single week because, look, we get questions every single week from the mailbag. I mean, essentially every single week, are you concerned about the sack numbers? Are you concerned about the sack numbers? And my answer is always like, of course, I would like to get more sacks. That's always great. But as long as our defense is producing and we are affecting the quarterback, then like it's okay. Like We're fine. And, and, and look, we don't have elite edge rushers. We don't have Will Anderson. We don't have Dallas Turners. We don't have those guys. We don't have Derek Hall for Auburn. We don't have those guys. We just have to understand that. We don't have the linebackers that we had last year. Our guys this year are really good, but they don't blitz the way that Channing did and the way that Quay and Kobe did last year. They just don't. So we're not going to 
have the sack numbers that we have last year. But that doesn't mean that we can't still be very productive, which we have. And if you look at the numbers, they showed this last night. I was watching the replay, and they were talking about basically statistically the numbers are right now exactly the same defensively as they were last year. Now, that's also, you know, Last year, look at the numbers when we're playing a full 15-game schedule. We played Alabama twice, so there's that. But still, statistically, there has not been that much of a drop-off. And so if the production is there, I mean, the sacks are a means to an end. Like, the sacks are not the end goal themselves, right? It's all about stopping offenses. And right now, we are holding offense. It's a little more than 10 points a game. And that production is there. And as long as we're able to do that, then to me, sacks, I don't want to say they don't matter. But, again, they're a means to the end. They are what helps you get to that point of holding teams from scoring. And right now we're doing that without getting these massive sack numbers. So we're still doing a good job of affecting the quarterback. So I'm not overly concerned there. Um, I, I want to mention, you mentioned Jalen Carter, Curtis, how big of an impact did he make coming back? I mean, obviously he's been back for a couple weeks now, but having him back in a game like this, obviously last week against Tennessee, how big is it to have Jalen Carter back against a team like Mississippi state that, you know, you have to, they challenge you through the air, obviously. So you, you can't really stack the box and you have to be able to control the run game with even numbers. So how big is it to have a guy like Jalen back in the fold? It's huge. And I think um, I was reading Kirby's post-game press conference and remarks, and I, you know, I didn't realize it. Um, but how Mississippi State's offensive scheme, they give their tackles wide splits. And so when you have someone like Jalen, yeah, when you have someone like Jalen Carter who's so versatile with that he can do it in the pass rush and then stop the run, is huge against a team like this. Yeah, that, that's a staple of at least Mike Leach's version of the air raid. And a big part of that is he, it, I, they started doing it. They thought it would make it more difficult for edge rushers. Because back in the day, like, you know, your your pass rushers primarily were defensive ends, right? So they wanted to make – if you widen out the splits of the offensive linemen, then those edge rushers have further to go to get to the quarterback. But you don't really account for putting your guards on an island against a guy like Jalen Carter because they're, they're so far apart, it's really hard for them to like double-team and help guys. So you have your guards operating on an island – Against Jalen Carter, it's like good night, man. Like even though Jalen only had that one sack, I mean he was close a couple other times. He was consistently affecting the quarterback. So yeah, I mean that that was that certainly helped. Uh, you mentioned that one play. I, I definitely noticed that too in the game, and I saw it again when I saw the the replay when I watched it. Jalen spying the quarterback, Curtis. Do you think that was just like a a one off kind of thing? Like we're just trying to throw something different at them, or do you think in the absence of Nolan Smith, who's been a guy that we've used heavily in that role, do you think we might see more of Jalen Carter? doing that type of thing down the road? Um, it wouldn't shock me because Jalen Carter's a lot quicker than people really think. And especially, I mean, as long as you're not playing like a Hendon Hooker, maybe even LSU with Jaden Daniels, um, like someone like Will Rogers, they don't have the speed enough to where you had to um, yeah. sit there. Like he, he has enough speed to still do what we need him to do against a, t- a quarterback like that. Yeah, I don't think you can make a living doing that because as athletic as he is for defensive lineman, he's still a defensive lineman. Like like you mentioned, Hinden Hooker, guys like that, like true dual threat quarterbacks. I I, I don't love that uh, as a just like a two years a ago, ball. or was it two years ago when we tried to use yeah. uh, Trevon to spy yeah. Joe Burrow, and yeah. he just they're not. I think the biggest thing is they struggle with the shiftiness of the quarterbacks who can make them miss. And Jalen's not used to playing in space. That's the thing, you know. Exactly. Like, yeah. Trayvon is more used to playing in space than, than Jalen was. And as as athletic as Jalen is, playing in space and like having to break down on a guy who's trying to make you miss, it's easier said than done when you're not used to it, you know? Yeah. But I will say, I mean, Kurt, like, is it I don't I don't I honestly I don't think it's crazy. I think it's just reality. I think he's more athletic than Robert Beale or Chas Jambliss. There's no question. I mean, he's more athletic. He's more explosive. So if we're gonna have one, like, if the option is okay, we're gonna have we're gonna have Chaz or we're gonna have Beal spy a guy or we're gonna have Jalen Carter spy a guy. I mean, 
if those are the options we're going with, I'm going with Jalen 100, 100 times out of 100. Now, ideally, you'd be able to do a, like a, a linebacker. I think Jalen is interesting. Jalen Walker was kind of warming up with, you know, he's played inside linebacker for us. He was crewed as an inside linebacker. But obviously, we're having some depth issues at outside linebacker. And he's a guy that comes in our third down package right now um, as, uh, as, a, as a pass rusher. And he was warming up a little bit with the outside linebackers. Do you think Jalen Walker could be a guy, Curtis, that sees more and more reps at that position as, as the season progresses? I think so. I mean, er, even earlier in the season, he was getting some reps, especially bringing pressure. Um, so I think, you know, it's not completely new to him. And so I definitely think that, especially as we continue to practice, I think try to get him reps and just get him comfortable out there. But that's somewhere, especially this season, where he could probably make the biggest impact. Yeah, and that brings me to my next question, Chris. I'm going to go ahead and go here. So we, we kind of talked about how great the defense was, awesome performance, really. All in all, fantastic performance. It gets a difficult offense to prepare for because it's just so different, man. It's a very different offense. You don't, We don't play anyone else all year long who plays offense this way. Now, we played offshoots of the air raid, but not like the true, legit, old-school Mike Leach air raid where they're throwing the ball as much as they do. It's just very different. We had to play defense differently against them than we have at any point this season and, and differently than we will the rest of the season. So considering all that playing as differently as we had to in this game and, and holding them to what under, uh, again, to me under three, under 250 yards. If you talk about what the starters did up to that last drive, I mean, great performance, but, but that doesn't mean everything was perfect. So did you see anything from the defense that concerned you moving forward? I had a couple of things that I noticed, which I want to talk about. I want to get your thoughts first. Holding the edge at times. Yeah. Um, in the run game, because that was the only yeah. success they had is when they attacked the edge. Um, Primarily Chaz Chambliss. Exactly. Or um, just that, I mean, you think back to that first drive where they used two running backs and used the one running back to seal off the edge and yeah. took um, Pop out of the play. Um, yeah. That was, you know, I think that's one thing that we're going to have to work all around on. And then just sometimes in the passing game, especially uh, in the, sorry, star position, it felt like. I mean, Bullard did really well, but I feel like that they, when they attacked us, that was where they kind of went was in the slot. Well, and he came out with the end. He came back in and he went back out. So if he, like, how much of a drop-off, Curtis? I mean, Tyke Smith is a guy that we were really excited about getting last year, but how much of a drop-off is there from Bullard to Tyke Smith that Bullard can't go for the next week or two? I think in the pass defense, it's not where you're going to feel it as much, but in the run game is where Bullard is best uh, or definitely exceeds uh, what Tyke brings to the table. Because you kind of saw in the Missouri game, we really missed having uh, Bullard yeah. in Oh, for sure. And look, Tykee is a good player. I'm not. I'm not saying there's like a massive drop off there, but Bullard starts for a reason, and he plays as yeah. much as he does for a reason. That guy is really freaking good, man. He's gotten. He's become a really good cover guy for the most part. But he's even though he's smaller, he really, really, really sticks his nose in there in the box against the run and fits against the run very, very well. He's a very good player in space. I mean, Tyke can like, we're lucky that we have a guy like Tyke to back him up, but I mean, Tyke doesn't play that much because Bullard is that good. So I hope that Javon's okay. We'll see there. Um, but you mentioned the edges there. So I, I, at the top of my list here, Curtis, to this question, I have outside linebacker, man. It is an issue. In my opinion, it is an issue right now without Nolan Smith, an issue waiting to be exploited by a better team that can actually exploit it. How concerned are you right now, Curtis, about outside linebacker as we move? Like, obviously we have these two games we need to win. But as we move into, you know, getting to the championship part of the schedule, SEC title game, potential playoffs, whatever, how concerned are you about that position? Because I'm that's kind of I'm borderline freaking out right now. That's where I'm really concerned is, you know, not these next two games. I mean, Kentucky may use it because they're more in the run game, but they're more one-dimensional. I'm very concerned, like, when we get to the, the you know, the SEC championship game and above. 
I am I am very concerned, Curtis. I'm and I don't want to be. And maybe this is me making too much out of nothing. Maybe. But I don't think people realize how good Nolan Smith was for us, especially against the run and what he allowed us to do with his versatility from a coverage standpoint. He could play in space. He was comfortable there. I know the sack numbers were never quite there, although he was leading the team in sacks when he got hurt. But Nolan has been so good and so valuable to us for a couple of years now, man. And we just don't have the depth that position. I know Beal has been around for a long time, man. He's a steady player. He knows what to do. He's a guy that you can trust. But he's he's not he's not a he's not a dynamic player Curtis I mean I'm not I'm not trying to like rip our guys I love our Beal I appreciate everything this guy has done I really do but trying to be objective he is not that dude he is not that guy he cannot do the things that Nolan Smith did for us he simply cannot we do not have another player in that room right now 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 maybe Marvin Jones Jr. when he's ready to play can be that guy but he's not ready right now Curtis from a physicality standpoint I mean he's not he's not even he's not even the picture right now you know and Mikhail Sherman I mean God Jeez, I mean, just he's just not going to. Is he ever going to play? No, it feels like that was as of right now. You know, I feel like that was a miss. I I mean, I I hate to say that. I mean, the guy who plays on a lot of special teams does a good job for us there. But I mean, if he's not ready to play like a single snap right now, with the situation we have at that position right now with Nolan, with no Nolan, I mean, Chaz has been hurt most of the year with a hamstring injury, so he hasn't even been practicing for most of the year, and Sherman can't play at that point. Like. Guy's not going to play. He's just not going to play, and it sucks. So we are thin there in terms of playmakers. I mean, Chaz Chambliss, again, has been hurt. He's been back for a couple of weeks, though. But he's – I'm not closing the door on Chaz Chambliss. Chaz is still really young, man. But is Chaz Chambliss, Curtis, is he ready to be an impact player right now? Not an impact player, no. No, he's not. I mean, I think he's very – he's more similar to Robert Beale than he is to Nolan Smith. Like, he, he's a solid guy, a steady guy that plays hard, can be physical, strong physical guy. But he's not ready to be that guy. He doesn't have that kind of athleticism. He also doesn't have that kind of experience right now that Beale has to be able to do the things that that uh, even Bill does for us. I mean, Curtis, Chaz Chambliss' awareness right now is way below average. I mean – we have guys attacking the edge when he's when he's trying to set the edge, and he has no idea they're even running by him. Like you can you can see that he turns around his head, and he's like, "Oh wait, they just ran by me." It's like, dude, I, I, you're doing a decent job setting the edge, but actually make the play. Like, do yeah. what you're there to do. Yeah, set the edge, but also let's swallow that running back as they're trying to go around you. Don't be lost. Turn your head in circles trying to figure out what's going on. So, I mean, at times it feels like Chambliss is a borderline liability when he's on the field. I mean, against the run, he can function okay. He's fine against the pass, man. Like it's. It's a problem, and he doesn't really give us anything as a as a pass rusher right now. He's just not. I mean, bottom line is we're just not athletic enough there, and we can get by against Mississippi State, probably Kentucky, probably Georgia Tech, just fine. Probably even LSU, Curtis, probably, probably. We'll see. But we get in the playoffs, you play Ohio State. I don't know, man. You play TCU. I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know. We'll see what we play. You play Oregon again. I don't know. Those questions have to be answered. So at the very least, I'm concerned. I think recruiting misses and recruiting misevaluations of that position are really coming back to hurt us right now, and that is concern number one, number two, number three, number four, number five for me for this entire team right now. I am very, very concerned about it. Um, I also want to bring up this, Curse Pop. We've talked all year about how much we love Pop Dumas Johnson, how good he's been for us. This guy's been fantastic. This guy needs to get more national love than he is. He's basically no national love. It's crazy to me. You know, Curse. I I was watching the replay – and, you know, they do, like, the impact players, and they put, the like, two or three players up for each team. Well, they did mm-hmm. our defensive players. Did you catch this? They only had one not. dude. They had Jalen Carter. That was it. It's like, you know what? It's like it's Jalen Carter and the no-name defense right now. And Which is wild because you still think of someone like Chris Smith being a, a Thorpe finalist. 
Yeah, and Malachi Starks playing as well as he has as a true freshman. It's it's weird, but you know, I mean, Jalen Carter, he's the NFL draft prospect that everyone's talking about right now. Yeah, yeah, it's Chris Smith, Thorpe finalist. Yeah, you think they at least mentioned this guy? Been playing, start, basically been starting for us for two and a half years. But you know, it's basically in the minds of the national media and everyone else, it's Jalen Carter and everyone else. It's that no name Georgia defense. But Pop deserves some of that love. He's just not getting it. But as good as he's been for us, Curtis, how do you feel about him, especially in a game like this, when he's asked to play coverage snaps? you know, 50 times in a game. It's just not what he's really suited for. That's why, I mean, realistically, um, Smile was the best linebacker on the field yesterday. Yeah, that's it goes back to just what his physical profile is. You know, he's, Smile's not as big and physical. He always physical, but he's not as big and physical as Pop is, but he's much better in space. Um, Pop is the better athlete than I thought he was coming in this season. I'll give him credit there, but he's still not a Smile Munden level athlete he's just not comfortable in space right now so like you watch him out there it's not that he can't function in coverage I mean, he's done it all year he's been fine he's actually been way better than coverage than i thought he would be but he also comes off the field on third downs most of the time for a reason right but when you play a team like mississippi state you could tell out there at least in my opinion he did not feel comfortable in coverage. he didn't seem like he looked comfortable in coverage did you get that feel watching him i did yeah especially like when he was asked to move yeah, he just looked lost at times. There were a couple of times where like you, they were running a mesh route and they'd run across his face and he's looking at the other side of the field and it's like, dude, that's your man. And he, he's just not used to – I mean, again, he, he teams throw the ball on first and second down when he's out there. It happens. So it's not like he hasn't played coverage snaps. He has, but he hasn't played that volume of coverage snaps and had to play a team like, like Mississippi State. So I feel at times – I mean, maybe loss is a strong word, but there was some confusion for him there at times. And you could clearly tell, in my opinion, that he was not comfortable. I don't think he was playing as fast as he normally does in this game because I think he was thinking a little bit more. Because, again, again, Mississippi State, very different kind of offense. He's not used to playing that many kind of coverage snaps. So I'm not like overly concerned about it because, again, we don't play anyone like Mississippi State the rest of the season. It's just a very, very different kind of offense. But, you know, definitely that that's Pop's not suited necessarily to play that kind of offense and play that many snaps. But, you know, we don't have as much depth behind him, which brings to my next concern here, Curtis. How do you feel about that inside linebacker depth behind Pop and Smile right now? I'm a little bit – feel a little bit better than I did coming into the season. I mean, Ryan Davis is serviceable as someone coming off the bench, um, especially, you know, the games we're forced to get him some experience. Um, has at least made me feel a little bit more secure in that position because I think he's more serviceable. Um, than what I was led to believe. And I think Tresman at least brings stuff, especially in um, passing packages. Yeah, I, I, I like the word serviceable, Curtis. So the way I look at it is both Ryan Davis and Tresman Marshall are, are more than serviceable linebackers. They're good, solid yeah. players. But neither one of those players are dynamic. You know, like last year when we brought in, like we t- if we took Quay off, if we took uh, Nicobe off the field and you bring in Shane Tindall, well, you're replacing a dynamic player with another dynamic player. We're not doing that right now. Is that fair to say? Oh yeah, absolutely. Like yeah, you are we take, a step back. yeah, I think both Pop and Smile and Mondin are dynamic inside linebackers. But when we take them off the field, we're not replacing them with another dynamic inside linebacker. We're replacing them with a guy that's serviceable and we're hoping we can get, get our stars a couple of breaths, a couple of blows, and bring them right back in the game because basically we're just hoping to survive while those guys are out there on the field. That's the feel that I get. Because there's just there's a drop-off, man. Again, it's not that Ryan Davis is bad. He's not. Ryan Davis is a good player. He's just not the athlete that either smile or, or pop are and the same thing with Tresman. Tresman's, Tresman's a good player. Tresman's a, a solid athlete, just not to the level of, of pop or smile. So there's a drop off there. And I think that's why you're not seeing a true rotation. I think basically you see when we get opportunities, give, give those stars a blow here and there, we'll get them off the field. We want to get them back on the field as quickly as we can. So I, I don't know how much to be concerned about that. Cause that's kind of been the case all year, to be honest. Look, and look, Ryan Davis has had to start multiple games for us 
in the SEC, and we were fine. So I'm not saying like I'm freaking out about this, but again, we're going to play better teams, Curtis, when we get into the college football playoff, when we get in the SEC championship game. And these are little things that I just, you know, I'm, I write in my notebook every time I watch these, watch you go back and watch these games. Like, okay, let's file that away. Like, we're fine now. No one, none of these teams are able to hurt us doing it, but like, we're going to play better teams. And what does that look like against some of these better teams? So just, just something to kind of put there in the back of your mind. Keep that in mind as we get to um, the championship part of the season here. But we've got plenty more about this Mississippi State game to go back and recap and analyze for you guys. But before we do that, Curtis, let's go ahead and talk about our friends at MyBookie. With so many sports books out there to choose from, you guys need a platform that just makes it simple to bet and to win. And MyBookie does that for you. Trust me, I've used all the different sites, guys, over the years, and MyBookie... It's by far the easiest, and it's by far the one that I've won the most money on. So it, it, it's my sports book of choice. My bookie has a huge selection of odds, props, contests for all your sports betting needs. You can stream games and live bet while you watch. You can turn game day into payday with my bookie. So today, guys, it's simple. Just go ahead and do it right now. If you haven't, if you've heard me talk about it all year long, go ahead and make today the day. Go to mybookie.ag, sign up for a brand new account, use the promo code UGA and claim that 100% deposit bonus up to $1,000. Again, it's simple. Promo code UGA at mybookie.ag to claim that bonus. When you bet with my bookie, you're not just betting, guys. You are joining the winning team. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Curtis, let's go ahead and let's move to the offense. Offensively, it was actually our second lowest total yards output of the season at 468 yards. But we did average 6.7 yards per play, which if you extrapolate that out for the entire season, that would still be top 15 nationally this season. So that's still a solid offensive performance. And we did just put up 45 points, Curtis, which is the fourth highest point total of the season for us this year. But what did you like, Chris? Let's start here. We'll, we'll talk about what we didn't like in a moment. There's a couple of things I think I, I think we're both going to be in agreement on. But let's start here. What did you like about the offensive performance in Starkville last night? Definitely enjoyed seeing the use of both Lad in the run and pass game, and then also the um, 
curious, getting curious involved in the game. Sometimes I think I think that's one of been the most perplexing things to me is curious seem to have been healthy this year. And as yeah. people like Ladd have struggled and some other people have struggled or missed snaps, we haven't tried to utilize him more. So it's nice to see us using him more. And I yeah, mean, of course, had, you had 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 yards receiving coming to this game. Exactly. And so I think that was, it was nice to see us finally, I've seen just the passing attack outside of, you know, a couple of throws, but the passing attack as a whole. And I mean, as we know, when we played Mississippi State two years ago, this is kind of what the way you have to play them because the, the defense they run, they're going to kind of slant and try to take away the run game. And I thought we yeah. did a good job of not being taken completely out of our game. Yeah, we'll get to the run game here in a second. They're hyper-aggressive against the run. But at the top of my list, Curtis, as you just mentioned, explosive plays, baby. Let's go. We've been talking about this all season long, especially in the passing game. So we we had, by my count, by my calculation, we had six plays of 20 or more yards against Mississippi State last night. And then you add that to the four plays of 20 more yards from last week. That makes 10 plays of 20 or more yards over the last two weeks. And basically, we didn't even try to score the second half last week, Curtis, against against uh, Tennessee with the, with the rain. We just didn't really. So 10 plays of 20 or more yards, Curtis. And eight of those, eight of those 10 plays of 20 or more yards over the last two weeks are in the passing game, Curtis. It seems like every single week. It's another popular question we've had all year long. Are you concerned about the vertical passing game? And all year long, we've said, yeah, kind of, we are. Like We'd like to see that get going. And it seems to me, Curtis, over the last two weeks, we're making more of a concerted effort to do that. And we're actually hitting on some of these plays. So for me, that is number one, watching this offense. Like That is what got me excited about this performance. We hit some plays. You mentioned Kiaris, Ladd. Um, Darnell had a 30-yard reception early in the game. So hitting some of those explosive plays. And Curtis, it's not Brock Bowers, right? Because early in the year, it was no. Brock. It was Brock and no one else making those explosive plays. And over the last two weeks, Brock's you know, had a touchdown, a nice game against, against Mississippi State, but he's not the one hitting these explosive plays. So to see other guys outside of him do that, that is huge for us moving forward. Because you know that Brock is probably number one for every coordinator coming into every single game. Like He is number no. one on the, on the game plan. He's, like, he's number one, two, three, four, five. So to have other guys able to step up and hurt teams – and hit explosive plays, I think that's really, really big for us moving forward down the road. I think that's huge for us. All right, what else did you like about the offense performance? Going back, you kind of mentioned it, but just the way the guys are stepping up, um, I think that you're seeing Marcus Roseby, Jack Saint, or Jack Saint, um, how do you say it? Yeah. Uh, he's building more confidence and becoming more of a threat. And I think that that right now, especially as, you know, I think that AD may be on the mend and may be on his way back. And so having some of these guys stepping up, I think, is huge. And then one thing that really stood out to me that I was – I know it was late in the game, but Kendall Milton, that that run he broke at the end of the game. I was really happy for him, man. Yeah, he had, he had some explosiveness that I have not seen from him since probably his freshman year. Um, so I'm thinking, yeah. you know, I hate to say it, but this time he missed with this last latest injury may have been very beneficial to him, especially as we go into the end of the season, because, um, you know, Dejan and Branson are having a little bit of trouble. And I think that if we can get Kendall back healthy, um, and actually explosive that he brings us another threat. Hey man, we need every weapon we can get. And I, you know, we were basically all of Bulldog Nation was hard on Kendall early in the season. Yeah, I include us in that. Yeah, and like, and I, I include myself. I don't want to speak for you. I include myself in that though. And I, I think as we were talking about back then, though, Curtis, like he wasn't healthy. Like he hasn't been healthy yeah, in a long like time. We, we we were honest, but it, like we also like put in the the you know said like, hey, he's not healthy. He's playing yeah. with a wrap on his leg. Like, yes, yeah. he's not fully. He there. was out basically all fall camp with a hamstring. I mean, I, the guy was he was gutting it out playing, you know, and. And I, I hate the production wasn't there. Like we had to be honest, the production wasn't there, but he was also injured. 
and then he hurts the he hurts the quad. And I think you know he took some time off in this quad. And I I don't know if he's 100 healthy. I don't know if anyone's 100 healthy right now, but he might be. It looks like he's about as close to that as he has been in a couple of years. Don't you feel like? I do. I mean, just the way he's running, like it reminds me of like what we saw. I think of his freshman year against Bama when he was, you know, kind of explosive yeah. coming off the bench. He looks so different that freshman year, man. I know he just hasn't been healthy since then. So I'm definitely not giving up on Kendall. And I was like, I was so happy for that guy. Cause look, I've been hard on him. everyone's been hard on him, man. And that's tough. That's tough for a young guys. And especially a guy that works hard like he does and wants to be successful. So I was very, very excited for him. I hope that's a sign of things to come, man. That was big. I was huge to see him get involved yeah. like that. Um, red zone offense, Curtis, how'd you feel about that? Five for five in the red zone, four touchdowns. How'd you feel about that? I, you know, it, we yes, we benefited from that roughing the kicker, but I thought overall um, we did a better job of not being predictable, especially when you we talked about the way Mississippi State plays. They kind of take the run away from you with how aggressive they are. So it's hard, especially in the red zone, um, because you don't have that running ability that, you know, we've had, especially in the last couple games. You know, it's so weird. We were so good in the red zone open the season. We were so good. But, like, in the middle of the season, you know, like, games four or five, maybe – actually, really, games four and five, Kent State and, uh, and Missouri. Like, we were just bad in the red zone, and we were all worried about that. But we've come back, and we've answered that bell and then done a really, really good job of that. This is no different here, man. Five or five in the red zone, four touchdowns. It's big. I was also really excited to see us get – like, we continue, Curse. I know Tennessee game, he didn't have a catch, but – you go back, you know, for the last five games, we're getting Darnell Washington more and more involved in the past game, which is something I've been calling yeah. for for a long time. You know, Especially last, in the um, red zone. That was so nice to see. Yeah. You know, saw uh, yes, finally. Finally. Finally using him, and I think that was just like, really nice to see. Finally. And that was the one touchdown. We, we we try to get him involved, get the ball to him a couple times in the red zone. You know, I mean, try to get, like, a touchdown. But, like, you know, got one. So, finally, it was beautiful. But him and Brock combined for 10 catches, 101 yards, uh, two touchdowns combined. That's awesome, dude, because, again, if we're having trouble at receiver, having guys get open consistently, we have these tight ends. And if they are better than receivers, get them the ball. Get them the ball. Play them. We always play them. Get them the ball in the passing game. I think we're doing more and more and more of that. But I do think Curse All-In was a good offensive performance. Maybe not our best, but a good one. Um, I also think it wasn't flawless either. So what did you not like about the offensive performance against Mississippi State? I mean, of course you're talking about the offensive line. Um, but I think you have to look how at it relative. I mean, you go back. Um, the one thing I was saying is that we, as bad as we were rushing, we still rushed for more than what Bama did against them um, because that's just the way they play. So you're never going to go out there and have – I think Bama had like 29 yards. rushing yards against them. Yes. They, yeah, they were in like – And that was, that was in Tuscaloosa, by the way. Exactly. And so, I mean, and that's why I'm trying to be relative because, like, yes, it was frustrating, but that's just the defense that played. Um, so, yes, I'm frustrated by it, but you also have to be realistic. And teams, there but have think, been some teams that had success running the ball on them, like Auburn did last week. But most of those teams, you look at who they played, have have dual threat quarterbacks. The guys that are, exactly. Stetson can run the ball, but he, he's not a guy that we do a lot of design QB run stuff with. We just don't. Right? Robert Ashford went for over 100 yards against them. We don't have a quarterback that does that. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then I think just the inconsistent play of Stetson. Like, he had some beautiful throws. I think back to, you know, those um, – the one outside shoulder uh, to Ladd, you know, the touchdown yeah. to Ladd throws to Kyrus. He had some really good throws, but then he also had some very questionable throws. Uh, the very first pick, I don't really put on him as much as I do the offensive line. Um, I don't put I either pick on him, to be honest with you. Yeah, no, I agree. But it's the ones that didn't happen that should have happened. Um, you think back to that throw, I think he was throwing it. Yeah, the one we, right. we were on the levels Love. concept. Yeah. Yeah, we were on the we were, we were flooding the uh, the field, and he had Darnell for easy what at least 10, 15 yards probably, and he forces yeah. it to lag, got greedy, and this the the corner who had flat responsibility 
was dropping back onto Ladd and essentially just left Darnell right there and he forced the ball. Can't do that. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. that was the only thing because it wasn't the ones that happened, but I think the ones that didn't happen because those could have changed the game even more. Yeah, that's fair. That, that was a really bad decision. I thought all in all he played pretty well on the road in a, in a different kind of yeah, environment. No, that, I mean, that was a tough the there, was a, there was a lot of good. I mean, and that's yeah. the thing. I think um, – but it's, I mean, he know, was hitting those balls on the field in the way he hasn't really all year. The last two weeks. Oh, so yeah, the, the one he threw to Ladd, I was really impressed with. That one for the touchdown. And the one to Karras, too. Yeah, the one to Karras. On the sideline? Um, yeah, great throws. Um, I'm loving it. Uh, and I think that just – I think we just need to clean up on, like, you know, not being greedy. Um, and you think sure. back to the um, – it, it, you know, it could have changed the game, but you, you heard Kirby talking about it when they were going um, at the – into the first half, it was a run play, and what he pulled it and then threw that pass. Which, yeah, maybe Don uh, was down decision. with it. He's got a, a, fifth, a, a sixth, seventh, eighth year guy, whatever he is. You got no better than that. Yeah, exactly. And so that was my thing. Um, it's things like that because that could against a good team that's really going to hurt you. And I definitely do want to get to that late half sequence to end the first half that resulted in Mississippi State punt return for a touchdown. I want to get to that. We'll get to that in detail here in just a second. But real quick, just to wrap this up with the run game, because I've already gotten a couple of questions about this for the mailbag, and I kind of anticipated that would be the case. So I just want to give you my thoughts on this real quick. First off, obviously, the run game against Mississippi State was not exactly what we want. But at the end of the day, the final numbers were solid, right? 33 rushes for 179 total yards, 5.4 yards per rush. Those are good numbers by all objective measures, right? Like Maybe not an elite day on the ground, but those final numbers were pretty damn good. But that doesn't tell the whole story, does it? Now, if you're a box score junkie, you look at those numbers, you say, oh, Georgia had a good job. They had a good day. They did a great job running the ball against Mississippi State. But you also wouldn't notice that 104 of those yards, of those 179 yards, were on two plays, right? We had the Lad McConkey touchdown run to open the second half, that first scoring drive of the second half. And then we had the uh, the late touchdown, breakaway touchdown by Kendall Milton that combined for 104 total yards on just those two plays. So what that means is that the other 31 rushes in that game went for 75 yards combined, which comes out to 2.4 yards per rush. I mean, the Missouri game that everyone complains about, remember that game where we had so much trouble running the ball, we only ran the ball nine times the first half, we finally got it going late in the game with some uh, gap scheme stuff, but we had a lot of trouble in that game and people were freaking out, and myself included was very upset about that we well in that game we rushed for 4.7 yards per carry that was almost twice as many yards per rush as we had against Mississippi State so I should be concerned right but I'm really not guys I'm really not concerned by this one isolated game I'm not I think we've been running the ball a lot better recently you really have to look at when you're analyzing why we had so much trouble getting our run game going against Mississippi State, you have to analyze how Mississippi State defends us. Go back to that game in 2020 here in Athens. Remember, guys, we only ran the ball for eight yards, like 0.3 yards per rush in that game. It's the same defense coordinator, Zach Arnett, and he's still running a very similar scheme. He's made some adjustments, but still very similar, especially in how he defends us. This is how most teams defend us, but even more so a guy like Zach Arnett. I mean, he was selling out hyper-aggressive to stop the run, which is not unusual, but the way that they do it is just different. It's harder to prepare for. Clearly, Zach Arnett and this Mississippi State defensive staff watched the Missouri game tape because, yes, they did come out with a very aggressive style of play. That's also what Tennessee did, but that's kind of what Tennessee does. And uh, they they were coming out, selling out, trying to stop the run. But the thing in this game that we were able to do that we weren't really able to do for most of that game against Missouri is we were able to make them pay in the passing game. And when they left guys on islands, 
we hit explosive plays in a way that we were really like largely unable to do until late in the game against Missouri. And then also there's the fact that we got out to an early lead in this game against Mississippi State, which kind of changed the complexion of the game because that was not the case against Missouri. And then also we were able to punch it in once we got in the red zone and score touchdowns. So never quite had the feel of the Missouri game, but that's what they were going for, right? They wanted to force the issue, force us to prove that, that we could hit those explosive plays in the pass game, which we did. They wanted to force us to prove that we could punch a ball in for touchdowns inside the red zone, which we did. Again, we didn't do either of those things with, with any degree of success against Missouri. That's why that game was so close. The margins were so razor thin. In this game, it wasn't as close because we got to that lead. We scored touchdowns in the red zone. We hit explosive plays. All three of those things we didn't do against Missouri. So again, I'm not overly concerned about this game against Mississippi State, at least our, our rush, uh, rushing attack in this game, because it's a very, very unique defense. Like, we don't see anyone that plays offense exactly the same way that Mississippi State does. But we also don't see anyone that plays defense exactly the same way as Mississippi State does. There's a lot of a lot of teams in the SEC play very similar style defenses. A lot of t- people come from the same tree, and there's a lot of overlap. Zach Arnett's defense is different, man. Uh, they, You guys saw it. They move guys around a lot. Tyrus Wee, I told you guys on the preview episode, he's the best player on that defense, and he's a really versatile player, but you really never know where he's going to be from one snap to the next. He might be on the, the left end, the right end. He might be playing inside linebacker. He might be like in the middle of the defense playing like essentially a defensive tackle. Like They move this guy around. They move all their guys around. They come from different angles. It's almost like that old school amoeba style defense. It's just really hard for offensive linemen to know who's coming and where they're are coming from how many guys are coming and it creates confusion and then on top of that they go heavy heavy with run blitzes so what that means is they essentially have at the snap of the ball like most of the time five six sometimes even seven man front is essentially what it comes out to because when those linebackers are blitzing when the run blitzes like that they're basically at the line of scrimmage on the snap and they're trying to just muck everything up and I know it gave the appearance of us not really getting a lot of movement but that's because there were so many guys on the line of scrimmage when that ball was snapped and when they weren't doing that there were plenty of plays but Kenny had a couple nice runs eight nine yard runs when they weren't doing that when they didn't come with those aggressive run blitzes they didn't have that many guys on the line of scrimmage when the ball snapped we were able to run the ball pretty effectively. They just didn't really give us many opportunities to do that. And really what we did in this game, guys, I give Todd Munkin credit. We took what they gave us. When they outnumber you like that and they have free runners and they have safeties and they have star defenders, free runners, when they just outnumber you in the box, have all those free runners everywhere, it's going to be really hard to run the football. They're essentially, like I always tell you guys in the preview episodes, What's the goal of a defense coordinator? Make you play left-handed. Well, what do we do best? Well, we run the football. So what teams want to make us do? They want to make us beat them with the passing game with a vertical downfield passing attack. That's what they want to make us do. They want to just gamble it and say, hey, we don't think you can do it to beat us. In the last two weeks, we've done it. We've done it to beat those two teams, to beat Tennessee, to beat Mississippi State. And that's fine. Like You can't like you can't take away everything as a defense coordinator as an offense. You aren't going to be able to do everything every single game because the defense is going to try to take away something. So whatever they try to take away... You just beat them with, with that other tool. And we did that with the passing game. So it to me, it's not really a problem it, against a team like this, a defense like this, the way they play. It's not, really, it's not really a problem that we're not running the football the way we had the past couple of games as long as we're hitting those explosive shots in the passing game. Just like we did you know, in 2020. I know the game was way closer than it should have been. But that's still the only game where we've had a 400-yard passer in the Kirby Smart tenure because that's what they did in that game. They said, hey, Georgia... We don't think you can beat us consistently doing that, so take your best shot. And we did, and we beat them. And it was the same story in this game. They just were not going to allow us to run the ball, and that's fine as long as we hit those vertical shots, which we did, and that's why we won this game by almost four touchdowns. 
All right, Curtis, we have plenty more to talk about, but before we move on, I do just want to quickly remind everyone about our friends at Alumni Hall. Guys, it's crazy to think about this, but Thanksgiving is like two weeks away, and what that means is Black Friday is basically two weeks away, and that means that the Christmas shopping season is basically already here. So if you are in the market for some Georgia gear for friends, for family, for Christmas gifts. Hey, you might want something for yourself. Treat yourself. That's okay, too. Alumni Hall has got you covered, guys. It's a no-brainer. It's the place to go. They have the best selection of gear, the best selection of brands. Whatever it is you prefer, whatever style, whatever brand, they've got it. They've got all the fall and winter apparel in right now, guys. And trust me, I needed it. I needed it in Starkville this past weekend. I'm going to need it in Lexington next weekend. So if you're making that trip, make sure to go to Alumni Hall today. If you're going to be in town for the Tech Game, guys, it's going to be cold. It's going to be cold. So it's time to gear up today. And when you do, you you get points towards future purchases with their Hall Pass Rewards Program. For every $150 you spend in-store or online, you get $15 towards future purchases. There's no other company out there that does anything like that, guys. So make sure today to stop in inside the Edgebridge Shopping Center here in Athens or online at alumnihall.com because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldogs shop. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. All right, Curtis, we teased it a little bit earlier, but I got to ask you, man. I got to go here. I got to ask you about the sequence to end the first half. We get the ball back up 17-6 with 44 seconds on that clock. Mississippi State only has one timeout. They end up forcing a punt which they then promptly return for a touchdown to make it a one-score game going into the half. After a half that we had dominated, Curtis. So what is your assessment of how Kirby Smart and the rest of our staff handled that late half situation? I like the idea of trying to be aggressive. Um, it was just the second and third down play calls or the execution. I have no issue. I'm with you. I have no issue being aggressive. If you're going to be aggressive, I'd never have an issue with you being aggressive. I really don't. Um, now saying that there's certain situations here and there, but in that situation, I have no issue with you being aggressive. I, did you have an issue with the, with the first play call, the screenplay? No, because we got yards. Um, I have no issue. Cause like, that's a, cause like in that situation, you don't want to do anything to hurt play. yourself. Right. So a screen is about as safe of a play as there is. And you just see, all right, lad, the playmaker, get the ball in his hands, a safe play, worst case scenario, 
tackled for like a, our worst case scenario, we drop the ball, right? But maybe, yeah. you know, we pick up some yards, get some space, and make somebody miss, and now now we're in chance, we're in range to score here before half. I have no issue with that. My issue is when it's third down and what, there was 20 seconds left? And yeah. at that point where we're on the field, we know we're not going to score, right? Uh, Highly I mean, unlikely. if you're calling a run, yes. Highly unlikely. Highly, even if we call a pass, like you do risk-reward – Right there, if you weigh it, like weigh the risk, weigh the reward, it's much more likely something bad's going to happen on you know third down, twenty seconds left where we were on the field than something good. So I would say, to me personally, it's just what I would do. I would have run the football there, and I and, and I know we said, hey, we called a run play, but it was tagged. It was an RPO, so it was tagged with the pass. Stetson threw the ball, and because Stetson trying to be aggressive, I, guess, I mean, I guess in some way you won't fault him for that, but also know the situation, man. We should have run the football there. If you pick up something great, if not, you go and a half, you're up two scores, right? But you can't let that happen. And then the punt, you know, we were. They, we thought they were going to be coming after us, so we were in punt – like we were in punt – not safe, but we were playing that they were going to rush us, right? So we had more big guys on the field to block. So we didn't have we didn't have two gunners out there. We had one gunner on the field, so we didn't have as many athletic guys out there on the field. So when they kind of dropped back and did and they didn't really come after it, they basically just tried to – they played punt return. Well, they were able to set up a return. We didn't have the guys out there in the field that normally out there to, to go out there and try to make those plays. And, you know, next thing you know, it's a one-score game going to half. So – um, borderline disastrous though, Curtis. Like that cannot happen against better teams, right? Yeah, absolutely. And ho- I mean, and Kirby's like I love you guys know. I mean, I gave Kirby Smart a game ball last week. I love this guy. I think he's the best thing that ever happened in Georgia football. But I mean, that doesn't mean he's perfect. And that was that was bad, man. He knows, and you can tell in the post game press conference he was pissed off at himself. He should have been. That was that was bad, man. That can not happen. You've got to be better than that. All right, Curtis, uh, let's wrap things up here real quick, man. we got to hand out some game balls for the performances of the week, top performers of the week. Who gets your first game ball, Curtis? i got to go with Ladd. Um, uh, I need to steal Yeah, about 150 yards total, I think. Um, especially, you know, I think he's had two good performances back-to-back. Yeah, six touches, 141 yards. That's 23 and a half yards per touch, Curtis. Two touchdowns. He's another guy that, you know, a lot of people, including us, were hard on him. You know, in the middle of the season, had a couple of drops, right? And it lasted for a couple of games. And it's like, okay, well, what's going on, Lad? Well, as we were trying to say, like, just like Kendall, Lad's been hurt, guys. Lad's had a turf toe almost all year. And he's barely been practicing. And he's played through it and gritted through it. And you don't practice, you miss reps. And so there's that's some there's some rust involved there. But I was really excited for Lad to get back. I mean, like, he's he played really well last week, too. It's not like he's been a disaster for us. He's just had some high-profile drops here and there. But um, that's what Lad can do for us. And that, you know, some people are asking, you know, is it time to bench Lad McConkie? It's like, what? For who? Like, who's making plays out there if Lad McConkie's not out there? We don't have those guys on the roster right now with no A.D. Mitchell. So it was really nice to see Lad have that kind of game because that's what Lad McConkie is capable of. So good call there, Curse. Um, all right, I'm going to stick with wide receivers. We mentioned him a little bit earlier, but I'm going to give him an official game ball shout-out here. Kiaris Jackson, man, four catches, 69 yards. Curtis, get this. That was Kiaris's most – that was his biggest game, most receiving yards since October 10th of 2020 against Tennessee in that COVID year. We had four catches for 91 yards in that game. He had two big plays in this one. He had 30, a 30-yard catch and a 28-yard catch. So huge to see Kiaris. We saw Arian Smith last week, Curtis. We saw Kiaris this week. Maybe some of these guys are, you know, eighty being out and getting more reps. Maybe they're starting to get to the point where they can step up and make some plays for us and be more of a threat for us. So that's huge. We're going to need that as we get again, get to the championship portion of our schedule here in a couple of weeks. All right, who gets your second game ball? Um, second game ball goes to Darnell. I want to call him. I mean, just, yeah, big plays, finally getting a touchdown. Um, 
I mean, I think the guy, but and then you think of what he's doing in the pass or in the run game, um, blocking wise. I mean, it's just hard enough to give him credit. I mean, he totally deserves, like, obviously, Brock deserves to be a Mackey Award semifinalist and a finalist, but I think that you can say the same for Darnell with what he's done in the past game recently, uh, what he's done in the run game his entire career. I mean, he's just been a freaking monster for us. This guy is, I still, I mean, we're starting to use him more. I still think he's one of the most underutilized weapons in, in the entire country. He, he's just that. He's that good, man. He is that good. Good call. Um, all right, I'm going to go defense here, Chris. I'm going to go Kamari Lasseter. I'm going to go Kamari Lasseter. Great one. Yeah, I think he played really well in coverage. He's played well in coverage for a couple of weeks. Chris. He's getting better and better and more and more comfortable every single week. Like, Honestly, it's getting to the point where I'm starting to question, like, is he maybe a better cover guy than Keeley? Like, I, I, I'm, I'm dead serious. Like, when I really key in and watch these guys, I don't – at the very least, I don't think there's that big of a gap. I really don't, man. No, I think Kamara has got the that. goods. Yeah, I think he's got the goods. And then, obviously, you know, the biggest play he made is that huge stop early-ish in the fourth quarter about 10 minutes ago. Mississippi State's trying to cut it to a 12-point game at that point. And um, he – now, I, I got to give Schumann some credit there. He – most teams play man there, and we showed man. We disguised it well. We were not man, but he comes up and makes a killer tackle on fourth and one, stops him basically for a no gain there, turnover on down. So great in coverage. I thought, he, and that wasn't the only time he tackled. He tackled really well, really aggressively all game long, which you have to do against them. So I thought he played fantastic. He's been playing really well for a long time. I would definitely want to give him an official shout out here on the show. All right, Kurt, who gets your last game ball? Our last game ball was, uh, you know, I mentioned him earlier, but smile. Um, I thought he was. Oh all over the field on every, you know, both in the pass game and in the run game. I think that he really showed out. Yeah, great call there. I mean, he, he this is kind of his, this is his kind of game. against a team like this for sure. Um, we mentioned him earlier. I think he's a guy that now that he's healthy, you can pencil him in here, maybe write his name in a pen every single week for a game ball. But doesn't mean he doesn't deserve it. So Jalen Carter, man, got to give Jalen Carter a game ball. Had the one sack, but was a, a nightmare all game long. They couldn't handle him. Nobody can handle him one-on-one. You just can't when he's healthy. And he's it's so good, man, to have this guy back healthy because he is a true, legitimate difference maker. I think He's not only the best player in our entire team, and he's the best player in the entire SEC, maybe the best player in the entire country, honestly. like When he's fully healthy at his position, doing what he does, I don't know if there's anyone better at their position. I really don't. So I got to go Jalen Carter, and I know you didn't like his game. I'm going to give Stetson an honorable mention here. I thought Stetson on the road in a weird environment – I thought he played pretty well, Kurt. Four touchdowns accounted for, 25-37, 289. Um, yeah, two picks. I don't think either one were on him. I yeah, do agree with you. The, the pick, I, yeah, any of those picks, none were on him, I think, um, especially the but, one. But you know, maybe it all comes out in the wash. You're right. That one, the very poor decision on the levels concept when he tried to force it to lad, that probably should have been picked. That was a bad decision. But I think that was honestly like that and maybe the decision to pull it and throw the ball right before the half on that third down, we're probably the, I mean, again, I, I'm not a coach, so I don't have access to what he's supposed to do every single play, but from my, you know, amateur eye, the only two really obvious poor decisions he made the entire game. I saw the guy play winning football. I thought he played winning football in a weird environment on the road. So honorable mention there to my man, Stetson Bennett, but all right, guys, that does it for today here on the glory UGA podcast. The dogs may have indeed clinched our fifth SEC East title in the last six seasons, but there is still a lot of football left to play. And let's be real, guys. The SEC East is nice. That's step one, but we have bigger goals out there in front of us. And that means we got to keep winning. SEC East title or not, we cannot afford to slip up in one of these last two games. So there's still a lot to talk about over the next couple of weeks as we head into the SEC Championship game on December 3rd. This week, we got Kentucky, guys. And this is a team that... Obviously got upset this past weekend by Vanderbilt. Good for Vandy. Good for the Commodores. But uh, Kentucky, they're going to be smart, man. After that loss, they're going to want to make amends for that. And what better way to do that than to welcome in the number one team in the country, the defending national champion. That's how you put that 
disappointment to bed. Now, it's our job to make sure that doesn't happen. But we'll have that game cover for you all week long, plus a little bit more about this game and whatever else that you guys want to talk about with our mailbag episode. So make sure send those questions in. You can hit us up on Twitter. It's at Glory underscore UGA. You can send them in on Instagram as well. Just look for Glory UGA Podcast. Or you can email them at podcast at gmail.com if that is easier for you. But thank you for being here, guys. Always appreciate each and every one of you. For Curtis, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dog.